This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. May is Lupus Awareness Month. Whether you knew that or not, I hope you stick around for this episode of Kicking Back with Shannon Box. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf, and on this episode, I'm speaking with Shannon Box about, yes, an incredible soccer career that she had playing for the United States and professionally. She won three Olympic gold medals. She won a World Cup. She was one of the best players of her generation, and her backstory is one that we may never see again, a player called up to a World Cup roster without even having an international cap in 2003. And we talk about all that, but if you know what lupus is, then you already know how much more incredible that story is that Shannon Box played through that and managed lupus as she achieved those all-world, world-class athlete heights. So. On this episode, we do talk soccer. We do talk about those career moments and hopefully some of those that that you haven't heard before from Shannon. But also, we talk about uh, her battle with lupus, both then and now, and uh, just really how incredible her story is uh, through the years here. So excited to bring you this. Shannon is also involved in uh, an all-girls soccer club that's making the game more accessible in Portland. She founded that, co-founded that, and she's also an investor in Angel City FC, the National Women's Soccer League expansion team that's starting play in 2022. So very involved, plenty of current events and plenty of backstory, hopefully some of which is is news to you or at least maybe enlightens you uh, in some way. Uh, We like to bring both the soccer and life aspects to this podcast and hope you appreciate it. If you do, please go ahead and rate and review and go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss a single thing in the future. And lastly, there are some bonus questions. There's bonus content with Shannon Box. We've been doing this this season as much as we can. So if you are a subscriber to EqualizerSoccer.com, to the Equalizer Extra, then you can head there, click on the podcast tab, go to this podcast, and you'll find some bonus questions, some cool, fun memories that Shannon Box had from through her career and some other topics that are exclusively to you as a subscriber of the Equalizer Extra. If you're not, I think you got to get on that. So without further ado, here is the latest episode of Kicking Back with Shannon Box. Hope you enjoy. Hope you learned something. And we look forward to bringing you more conversations like this in the future. Welcome, everybody. Jeff Kasouf here, your host. Excited to be joined by Shannon Box on this episode. Uh, Shannon is World Cup champ, three-time Olympic champ, WPS champ, NCAA. We got a, uh, It's a long resume, but um, we can get into some of the specifics. But thank you for, for joining me, Shannon. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me. It's and, a pleasure. Well, the most recent one, too, investor in Angel City FC, a new NWSL team coming. So um, have you gotten used to that being part of that resume yet? 
No, not yet. I think when they come together in 2022, when there's a team on the field and we're there for that first game, I think that's going to be when you're looking around and we're all sitting together, these, you know, ex-national team players that have decided this is what we want to do. We want to invest in the next generation. And I think just sitting there and being on the other side, I think that's going to be weird. Like we're all going to probably wanting to be on the field, but we're going to be sitting in the stands. And I think that's when it's going to kind of all come together of like, wow, like this is really big of what we're doing. Well, I've seen a lot of great ideas already out of the club. So maybe there's already a brewing idea of like legends versus current team or something. <laughs> we could all still run. That's the question. <laughs> Play, players versus owners. and, and Yeah, exactly. That'd be fun. We'd keep get it to, crushed. Yeah. I would get crushed. I'm not going to talk for anybody else. <laughs> keep but. it to like a small-sided game. Yes, there you go. Perfect. As long as I don't have to run the full field anymore, I'm great. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of buzz around the team too. I mean, everybody's yeah. kind of wondering, you know, still some big things to be announced, I guess, in terms of identity and obviously players at some point, somewhat soon, I, I guess, yeah. you know, relatively. Staff, everything. I mean, it's, yeah, it's in, and, and Julian, and they're always working so hard. I mean, we come on every once in a while and they update us, but I can't even imagine the work that they're doing behind the scenes right now. And it, it's just so positive. I mean, they are getting community involved. They're getting everything going. I mean, I, I love it for the fact that like, I want to give back the, you know, WSA was where I got my start. It's what got me to the national team. I want to be able to help other athletes who maybe didn't get noticed in their younger days on in college or whatever, to have a chance to be able to do that, to obviously also make good money. I mean, I retired, I made good money because of the national team, but you know, there's so many of us retiring and it's like, now what, what do we do now? We don't have enough money to just retire and be done. Um, but the idea that Angel City really wants to get equity up there and and do the right thing is such a great and important message. So I'm so part. I'm I'm glad I'm a part of that. Well, we'll have to. Um, we can dive into some of the the big secrets of what's coming. I guess maybe later, but uh, we can. Uh, we'll get to some of that. And and I know you know for those listening too. Um, before we kind of dive into the some of the weeds, because I want to talk about your playing career and and a lot of you know a lot of what I think anybody maybe tuning in here maybe knows you for, but, but also kind of updating where, what you've been doing since retirement. Um, you co-founded a club and Academy. It's, which I, I believe it's, is it all women coaches and all it's yep. women led, um, mm-hmm. in Portland, bridge city soccer Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what made you want to found a club? That's a big thing. That is a big thing. Um, you know, I was up here, I moved to Portland seven years ago, almost eight years ago now. And, and I wanted to be, I didn't know the soccer world up here. I was from Southern California. It's very different. Um, you know, it's also been 20 something years. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's been a while. And, and I think for me, it was just seeing the club system. I've seen it over the years. It's just gotten so difficult for so many of these young athletes. It's like, unless you're the elite, it's like you're blown off. And it's like, wait, we love the game of soccer because it's a great game. And I want to keep the interest and the love of the game there. And I started meeting other coaches and other directors here and found, you know, Rochelle Hearns, who is, you know, the head of Bridge City. And she had so many of the same mentality that I had of, we just want young girls, especially to enjoy playing the sport and give them an avenue to make it to the top if that's what they want to do. And because we set, believed in such the same things, we were like, well, why don't we do that then? It doesn't exist here for, at least for the girls' side, it doesn't exist. And so 
why don't we just start something that does and, and make it women led? And, you know, cause a lot of times too, girls want girl coaches, women coaches, and there's not enough women coaches in the game. And I think that's where we want to dive into too. So Bridge City also works on coaching and we do coaching education and we want to do all that stuff to get more and more women to, to jump in and say, I do want to coach after I play. I think some recognizable names I saw on the staff list too, if, if someone was following along through the pro game through the years, right? Some, some ex-players alongside yourself. Yep. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, um, you know, and Rachel Orpino was helping out. Um, you know, I was in there coaching. I'm more on the director side now. Um, but yeah, so many players from University of Portland. So we have high level coaches that have been there and have had to maneuver their way between education, you know, figuring out where they want to go to school. And, and then after when they're done, when they're done playing, what do they do next? And they found a really great path. So it's very exciting. I have a seven-year-old who, because of COVID kind of jumped into club a little earlier, but it's on the rec side, but she's kind of been playing in it. And um, I'm just excited about the whole idea that she can grow up in an environment like that. And to be honest, I believe in multiple sports. And we definitely focus on, hey, you know what? If you want to play more than one sport, we are going to support you in doing that. And you don't see that very many places in club soccer anymore. So I was going to say the multi-sport debate might take a whole other podcast. <laughs> it's going to take it <laughs> hours. Just, somebody, somebody's light bulb just went off listening. Yeah. But um, well, let's. I, I want to talk about your career for for a bit here too, um, and, and maybe we can circle back a bit too on on some of the the coaching front because. Uh, May is, is lupus awareness month. Um, and you know, I think you, you played with lupus. Um, I actually have an aunt who, who has it and I've, I've kind of seen, I say it to really emphasize how incredible it is to be playing at an elite level with it, because I, I mean, I see, you know, she approaches it with great positivity, but even just the everyday stuff, Mm -hmm. um, is it can be difficult. So, um, you know, I, I guess just, you know, I'm reiterating and repeating what many have probably said that it was amazing to kind of see, you know, when you announced that um, you had already won a few gold medals, or I think the third was right in that time frame. Um, I mean, t- tell me about what you're working on and maybe even just like, there's probably not a lot of understanding even still, like what is when somebody asks you, what is yeah. this? How do you define it? What do you say to them? Yeah, I say, well, lupus is an autoimmune disease and autoimmune means that your own body is attacking itself. And so lupus can, it's, it's a disease that attacks your organs. It can attack your skin, your nerves. It can attack everything inside your body. And what it does is it, instead of thinking it's a foreign invader, it, it starts just attacking you. And so um, things like symptoms are extreme fatigue. Um, you can have brain fog. You can have um, organ issues. Um, you can have skin issues, you know, all of these things, joint pain, um, all of these things are part of what lupus is. And the hard thing about lupus is you look normal. You don't look sick. And that's why we call it the invisible disease, because it really is all these things that are happening to you are really internal. And, and, and it's hard to explain what extreme fatigue is unless you've actually been through it, but it's, it's, stuck in your bed, hard, can't even pick your head off, off the pillow. Um, you know, joint pain is to the point where I remember not being able to use my fork and my knife. Like I had my teammates cutting my food for me at dinners during camp. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's this disease that just really is invisible. And it's a disease. that's also very hard to, um, to figure out what it is. So I went through 
years of different doctors, misdiagnoses, because it's not just a blood test. It's blood work. It's the doctor asking you your, your symptoms. It's following that along. It's, and it's, it's, so it's super difficult to diagnose and also there's no cure. So for me, I know my symptoms have slowly just continued to increase. Um, and you know, when I played, it was, and it was a very lonely period because I know that a lot of people that have lupus also go through this period of depression because you're going through this thing so alone and no one really understands what you're doing. And for me, I was hiding it. So like, it was a really lonely period. I think Christy Rampone was one of the only ones that knew for a long time. Um, my family knew, but I was afraid for my job. And I know that there's other people that have a lot of brain fog and have, you know, brain issues because of lupus and they can't work, but people don't quite understand why. And so it is a scary thing. It's a very lonely thing. And I think when I finally came out and opened up about it to my teammates, I was able to play for three more years because of the support they gave me. Like, I don't think I would have lasted any longer if I didn't say, Hey, this is what I have. I mean, it was like five more years, I think, but um, so, yeah, so this is lupus awareness month. Ever since I was diagnosed, I became an advocate for the foundation. And um, now I'm part of the regional council here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, it's so important for me just to kind of, to be honest, the research side is important. Um, the medication, finding a cure is number one. Um, but it's also just getting people to understand what it is and, and to recognize it as an important thing to, to beat and to fight. Um, so, you know, this month especially is just such a big thing. It's really making lupus visible um, and talking about it and getting donations and those things. And May 10th is our lupus awareness day. Um, and May 21st is where wear purple, which is our color. Um, so, you know, we have a virtual walk, unfortunately COVID stopped all of the walks around the world for lupus, but, uh, we did a virtual one last year and we had so many people come out and walk themselves and then post it. So it was really cool. Um, and then I'm also doing a fundraising event here in September just to start doing this once a year, an annual event that can hopefully bring more awareness and raise some money. You described um, some of the the scenarios that you were facing with teammates cutting your food, and and I know you've mentioned in the past about just the, you know, I don't want to say a basic training session, but you know, a training session that would have you tired for you know the entirety of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you weren't. You, you kind of just talked about the misdiagnoses. At what point did you sort of feel, you know, something's something's wrong here? I'm not responding to a game or something like my teammate, because you teammates, because even at that point, you know, you were well into your career. Yeah. I I mean, so I was diagnosed in 2008, like January of 2008. So I've been on the national team since 2003. I actually started feeling symptoms in 2002. So I was playing in the WSA for San Diego spirit. And I just remember one, I couldn't walk up two flights of stairs to my apartment. Like I was I was having to stop and rest. And I was like, okay, I'm just the lead athlete. Like I can't even make it up my set of stairs. What's going on. First thought was mono, you know, and then I went to practice and I remember playing in like a five V five scrimmage. And I felt like my feet were in quicksand. I got to a point, like I was almost crying. Cause I was like, I can't move. I physically can't move. I had to walk myself off the field and just sit down. And it, 
you know, to never have any injuries, to never have any issues. And then all of a sudden to feel this, this pain and fatigue, I was very shocked of what was going on. So, um, it, it, it was super different. And I think the hard part for me was then I did tell coach and not that this would happen, but I then ended up sitting the bench after playing for a year and a half starting. And, and it, it could have been that it could have not, but it made me get to that point that I was like, if I want to be successful in soccer, I have to keep this quiet because it is a disease of flares. You'll feel normal. And then a flare will come and you could feel sick for a day, a week, months. Like you don't know what it's going to do. And if you can't control it, how is a coach going to be able to rely on you in a big game or an Olympic final or all those? So to me, it was really important that I just kind of kept it quiet and to myself. And, and I had to do things differently. I had to figure out a new way to train. I had to figure out a new way to eat. Um, I had to start listening to my body a lot more. I mean, when I was in my twenties, I was like, I could do whatever I want. I'm just going to, you know, I'll be fit. And it wasn't like that. I had to figure out how to, control what I could control, which was if I started to feel a flare come, I would like go to my room and I would relax and I'd sit and sleep and not run around the hotel with everybody else. And, you know, you're doing these different things just to maintain. So you keep training at the level you wanted to. Well, and and years later, you did kind of come out publicly about it. And I think that was at that point, even a surprise to some of your teammates is is what Mm -hmm. you said. Right. So, um, you know, with that retrospect, I guess, when that happened, did you feel like anything changed in terms of the fears you had of being treated differently by a coach or, or teammates or, or, you know, did you feel like actually, okay, everything, you know, is no, okay? No, I still did. It was right. Yeah. I mean, I, so I told my team in 2011, I didn't tell the public till 2012. So I told everybody right before the world cup in 2011. And I definitely feared like, okay, things can change. I've been the starter, but to me, it was so much more important like social media had become a big thing. And I, I played, I'd done what I wanted to do. Everything else from then was a bonus. Right. And so for me, it was, I had an important role in this and I could actually bring more awareness to lupus than most people because of my stature and where I was and what I was doing and the social media, you know, debate that I had. And, um, so it just felt right. It felt right to do. And to be honest, after I did it, I was like, why didn't I do this years before? Why? Why did I wait so long? And because the support that I got from my teammates, my coach was amazing, but from the fans, from people that had lupus or people that were like, my, my, my mother has it. Thank you so much for making this aware, like, you know, us all aware of it. And that became so much more important to me. Um, but yeah, during that, that, World Cup, I definitely, you know, I know Pia was like, okay, we're going to manage your time. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Like you never managed my time before this. So like leading up, she started only playing me 60 minutes and it was like to the dot 60 minutes and she would take me out. And I was always like, what? Like, you know, um, but it worked, it worked out. Um, you know, she, she, when it came down to it, she, was like, you can do this. Like, and it didn't end that way in the world cup. I mean, I think I sat out the second game. Um, and then from then on, I was playing 90 minutes or over, right. We went over over time a couple of times. So it, it worked out and I was so happy, but the support that I got from those players, they just were constantly coming over to me, asking me, what is this? Tell me about it. And then if I had a bad day, I could go to the coach and be like, I'm having a bad day. 
Like I'm not going to be hundred percent at practice today, but I'm going to practice as much as I can, but I'm just giving you the idea. I'm not going to be very good <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and they were great about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think anybody listening who, who maybe knows somebody or who maybe is battling lupus themselves, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I cover soccer kind of exclusively at this point, but I mean, in terms of level of athletic distinction, um, I mean, you, you are the first person that comes to mind. Um, I don't know if there's others that you've other athletes that you've encountered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess the big question for anybody, you know, listening is like, how are you, you doing now is yeah. are you, how are you feeling? Um, right now? Really good. Uh, beginning COVID, not that great. I was struggling a lot. Um, I had a lot, a lot of joint pain. So walking up, we have a lot of Hills in Portland, but walking up and down Hills, I was just dragging behind my kids. I was barely able to move. Um, I was really run down. So I was just like super fatigued. And, you know, obviously then we had a lot of these issues with the medications that we're going through with COVID and hydroxychloroquine and all that stuff. And so it was kind of a stressful period. So I, I wasn't doing very good until maybe January of this year. And, um, I've changed some things up again. I've really just focused on my health and eating and, and trying to stay active because I really think I, was able to hold a lot of stuff off weirdly because I played soccer and I was so fit and I was keeping moving and I was exercising. I almost felt like it helped me as I've ended. And now that training has changed. I feel like so many more symptoms have slowly come in. So um, I'm doing really well right now, which is great. And I think for me, it's just making sure that I can do the things I want to do with my kids. That's, that's the main goal for me right now. And, and then, like I said, continuing to bring awareness to it. Well, I think, you know, very glad to hear that things are better, you know, for the past, the past few months. Um, and that's interesting that you think soccer maybe actually helped in that, that process. So um, I think my doctors were like, when are you going to be done? (laughs) They're like, you are stressing your body, but like, and I was like, okay, I get it. I probably need to be done soon. But then when I finished, I was like not working out as much and it was so much harder to get myself going. And I was like, you know, and and they do, they talk about every lupus patient should stay somewhat active, not maybe to that level, but, you know, on their good days, stay active, bad days, give yourself a break, but mm-hmm. good days, try to do something active at least. But I, I really do. I think when I start to get exercising a lot more and I'm doing it five times a week, I feel a lot better than when I'm not. Well, I just recorded uh, another kicking back episode with Stephanie Cox, who I think will be an example that Unretiring is never out of the question, Shannon. Well, I'm retired. I'm not coming back. <laughs> I love, I'm like dying for like her to come here so I can watch because we're Portland season ticket holders. And I just, I'm like, I want to see her play again. I think it's amazing. I mean, she did, she finished early and, you know, I, I'm so happy she's stayed in the game. She's been one of the biggest, you know, coaching, she's coaching a ton. And then to come back and play is awesome. Well, Angel City needs a quick, uh, some kind of a reserve to jump in with a roster shortage <laughs> or something. Maybe uh, they won't, there's going to be no shortage of options. If that comes there's up. Gonna, so. No, I think there's going to be a lot of players who want to come to angel city and play. It's going <laughs> to be, and, and to be back in LA in my hometown. Um, and then to be at the field that we're going to be at. Oh my gosh. It's, it's awesome. I'm so yeah. excited. I know yeah. I actually have to put my deposit. I got I to gotta go get my seats here. <laughs> we got our seats in our section. I'm like. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. 
Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. I got to make sure I get those. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, let's. I, I want to talk about LA because I want to talk a little bit about your your playing career and um, you know that that LA Soul team is a big a big one I think which um, unfortunately obviously ended too soon. But um, you know that maybe starting um, not the very beginning, but you know you played. You won an NCAA title at Notre Dame. That that collegiate career ends. There's no pro league. And, you know, I, I think we've heard this story too many times with several different gaps that there have been in, in the pro circuit here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now there's a stable pro league. There's a path to the national team through that, which I think is is great. But um, what you did back then, um, I don't think would ever happen again in, to the degree of, you know, an uncapped player making a World Cup roster and just kind of the the dynamics of everything that existed there. But, um, you know, I know this story has been told a little bit of, of you playing in WSA, San Diego, then New York, and and that being that springboard to the national team. But um, I, I think I was reading too that you almost like Wusa had just folded right before that World Cup that you were contemplating just being done with things at that point, yeah. right? Yeah, at the beginning of the 2003 year. Yeah. So I'd gotten to New York. I'd worked so hard. Like I, you know, I pretty much thought at the end of 2002, maybe soccer isn't for me. Like the way it ended, I was not happy, um, started doubting how good I thought I was. Um, but then, you know, I chose to play. I was like, I want to go to New York. I want to see what I can do. National team is still in the back of my mind of something I want to accomplish. And, you know, I trained so hard that off season. And then I got to New York. I was fit. I was one of the fittest players, but of course, Christy Rampone was the fittest. So I was below her, but, um, you know, it, it was, it was such a great position. I was like, I'm excited to be here. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, the top players besides the national team players are going to have to take these huge pay cuts. And already in that off season, I started applying to, um, schools to go back for grad school for psychology. And, you know, when I saw that they were going to drop our salary to a certain degree, I was like, I just moved all the way out to New York. Like, it's not like someone's paying for me to move out here. Like I had to spend my own money. I'm finding an apartment. I'm, you know, all these things. And I just kind of was at that level that I'm sure that it exists even now in the league now of like, okay, I'm barely making ends meet. How long can I do this? How long do I want to do this? And at that point, I'm, I was 25 years old. So it was kind of like, do I move on? Do I not? And so then, you know, the national team players were amazing. I remember going into a meeting and it was Tiffany Milbrant and, and Chris Pone. And I was like, look guys, if it stays like this, I can't stay. And I was just willing to voice that, you know, and I think other players and other teams were starting to voice it. And then I think the national team just, they did such an amazing thing. They decided to take their cuts so that we wouldn't. And so I said, okay, I'll stay. And I thought that was an amazing thing that they did um, because it was their league. They wanted it to be successful and they were willing to, to make those sacrifices. And so I stayed and thank goodness, my gosh, like <laughs> I can't even imagine. I mean, I would have been probably fine, but the, the life I got to live because of making those choices to continue to play and um, 
Yeah. So that was kind of the the start of it. Yeah. Yeah. Jumped right in and, um, you know, from zero caps to playing considerably and, and serious, you know, influence in a, in a world cup, uh, which yeah, is, I think it helped. I was older. I, you know, had, I'd gotten to that point that I was like, I need to play the way I know how to play Two, I got really fit. I was never that fit before. And I think that showed that I can do a lot more on the field by getting extremely fit. And, you know, you always think I'm like, I play 90 minutes. I must be fit enough, but there's just such a different level when you get to the national team. Yeah. And I finally figured that out enough to, to try and see if I can get that fit. So that those two things really helped me. Um, yeah, but I, I think the age just, I went into that first camp before I got called, you know, that I got called into. And I mean, you're playing against the best players in the world, but for some reason I was just like, so myself, I was free one. I didn't think I could make it. So I think I was there when everybody else was stressed out. I was like, I'm here to play. You know, I remember even doing a fitness, we were doing one twenties. And I remember we had to do a certain amount and she was like, this is optional, which, you know, everybody knows what that means when you play soccer. But I remember even sitting one out in the middle of it. Cause I was like, wow, I'm exhausted. Let me sit one out and then I can go hard the rest of them. I would never have done that. If I thought like I can make the team, I was like, no way I would have done all of them and like been dying. So it was like, that was just my mentality at that point. I felt so free and I tried to keep that mentality the rest of my seat, like the rest of my years of playing of just like, remember who you are, remember what you're good at and just play free. So, so that's 2003 World Cup after, um, you know, San Diego and New York, those three years in WSA and, and that league folds. And then um, what probably felt like forever until that next one, um, 2009 WPS starts and, and you're with the LA Soul, which, um, you know, I, I don't think we can talk about your league career without that LA Soul because no. I thought my favorite um, year. <laughs> I have to, I don't, if, if old, um, if the old, um, communications director of the league, Rob Penner is listening to this. He can back me up somewhere. There's maybe a digital record, the MVP of the season vote top line. I wrote Shannon box on it because I thought you were the glue to that team, which was filled with stars, but you know, I mean, you could probably list the entire first 11 on that, you know, that ballot, but um, you know, you were, that, that was, you just said your favorite year. I mean, why is that? Cause from the outside, it seemed like maybe your best year even. Yeah, I would say probably my best year. Um, one, I was home. You know, we forget about this. Like, we are travel. There's all professional athletes, though, right? But especially on the women's side, like, we don't make enough money just to move to a state or a city and stay there and make a new home there. And we're constantly going back and forth every six months, and it gets hard. And I love the fact that it was in my hometown. I could I could have my normal home life. My family and friends could come. I also had my teammates. And so it was like the first time I had both worlds in one spot. I think that just made me so happy. And when you're happy, you play well. So that was a good one. Um, then it was just the team itself. I mean, Marta, like I could literally hit the worst ball. As long as it was far enough, she's going to get to it. And it was like amazing. Um playing next to Camille Abelie, like you just had these stars and they were all good people. It, it never felt like even Marta, like she knew she was a standout, but she didn't like act like that or, or 
she was right there in with us when we were going drinking or doing whatever off the field. Like when we would get together off the field for a lunch, she was like, I'm in, like, it wasn't like she kept herself apart from us. And I think that really helped. Um, and that was a year that I was like pretty much a captain. Like I was a captain at Notre Dame. Um, and I was even a captain for a little bit on the national team, but that year felt like that was, you know, my team. I don't know if that's the way to say it, but it just, I cared about every single player on that team. And I made sure I was looking out for every single player on that team. And that felt really good to have that personality and like to be able to do that for everybody. And everybody trusted me. Cause I think I showed what I was doing on the field. Like I would throw my body in and I was getting dirty and I was getting this thing. And so it was like, okay, that's it's really easy to follow someone when they're just putting everything out there. And that was kind of how I tried to lead. Um, but yeah, I think it was, I mean, and we were good. Like we were so good. <laughs> yeah, no exceptional. I mean, I imagine heartbreaking to obviously end it the way it ended. I, I remember. Was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember being at that, um, the Boston game, the last regular season game, which was, um, I think you ended up winning, but, um, just, you know, that, that sort of late season, strange, you know, not many games. And then you didn't really struggle late season. You just didn't have a lot of games and there were a couple losses in there. And, and then the playoffs yeah. being what they were, you had. Perhaps was weird, right? Cause, month we, off. Cause we won the league. We had yeah. two weeks off yeah. and then we played. And then, you know, I mean, the final, obviously we had a red card early. Mm-hmm. We were playing down, you know, and Jersey was on fire. I mean, they, they had something behind everything with, you know, Chrissy was at that point coaching them and playing. Um, I mean, she was my best friend. I didn't talk to her for three months after that game was over three months. I didn't talk to her. I was so <laughs> mad. <laughs> Wow. I was so mad. That's how competitive I was. And she was just dying. She's like, she'll call me when she's ready. And I just like, couldn't do it. Finally, I was like, three months later, I was like, hi. She's like, I was wondering when you were going to call me. I was like, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So, the competitors. Um, yeah. Well, you, you I mean, you had the, unfortunately that LA team, you know, that next January, um, yeah. you know, folds for some business reasons, you know, that we can go into detail, but um you know, I guess I'm wondering about that stretch for you because, I mean, you kind of had this unfortunate distinction of L.A. folds. You, you go to St. Louis. Hey, fold. Um, St. Louis. That was the curse. <laughs> St. Louis folds in the middle of the season. That was probably the craziest weirdest. sounding one. Yeah, weirdest, weirdest. maybe. Yeah. Um, and then you go to Gold Pride, win a title with them with some of the XLA players who had also gone there. And, and then uh, Gold Pride folds pretty shortly after mm-hmm. winning that title. Um and then, you know, to Magic Jack, which I, I've learned that just don't ask anybody about Magic Jack is what I've learned because nobody can say anything. So, I mean, moving on from, moving on, mm-hmm. you know, from that, but just, I mean, that stretch, I feel like WPS for a lot of players in that era, that generation was, um, that experience was just so dejecting that they were done with everything. I mean, what was that like for you, particularly well, going through from three. 2009, which was seems so great, right? We had you know, and the ownership was amazing that year, but we knew early on, they were only there for a year. So it was, it was trying and Charlie and I at the end were pushing, we were fine trying to figure out who could take over this team. Like we were talking all the time of like, who do we know? Where could we go? Where, how could we get this to stay? Because it was a success. Like we had the numbers, we, we were doing things right, you know, as players, like, and I think that became the whole league like that it was the WPS was just so hard it was so 
so frustrating for me to go through all these different teams. I mean, I literally at the end, I was like, I'm done. I'm done playing in club because of having to move around so much and, and having to go through this. And I'm so happy that obviously we've learned a lot, you know, owners have learned a lot. Um, and the new league now is just doing so well. And it, there's some things obviously still right. Could pay be better. We would love it to be better. Um, but it, they finally have figured out a way to make this last and give a space for athletes to play and to get noticed by the national team. Um, and, and a lot have, right. I mean, how many have been noticed through this new league and have gotten chances to play on the national team? There's a lot. So it, it's doing its job in that way. And I think, I mean, it still has a lot that we can learn and get better and grow, but I'm just, you know, I'm so happy to hear that there's a commitment to it. I think even the WSA, I think it wasn't doing that bad. And it was all of a sudden the owners were like, I'm out. You know, it was so quick. And I feel like the owners this time around are really invested in wanting to grow the game and grow the women's game. Well, you don't have to use the third person there. The owners, you can. <laughs> owners, me, yes. <laughs> what, what, uh, is there anything particular, you know, now that you, you, you know, you're in these meetings to, to some degree and have, you know, some say like what, is there something in particular that you want to see at a, a league level, even as a particular area of change or desire to, to see something for the that's a great That's a great question. Um, you know, right now, not involved too much. We're more kind of on the side of promoting and really getting the name out there. Um, I'm on lots of different things just to kind of really, you know, ticket sales was a big one that we all were kind of jumping into, Hey, come, you know, let's sell this place out. Let's show that people want to see the women's game. So I think that's the big thing too. I think I've always felt that marketing the women's game has been terrible. Uh, you know, even on the national team, we never got marketed like as a group, as a game, like we would go into cities and people wouldn't even know that we were there. I was like, what is going on? So I think for me, I would love to see that part that, you know, we're finding more and more ways to, to, to market individuals, team, everything, community, you know, getting us out there in the community. I think that's just what Angel City already is doing. Um, so I think that would be a big thing, obviously money. So getting, you know, more and more people to, to buy in so that we can raise the salary. That's a huge one. And that's, that, that's going to be a big one for all us national team players that are investing is we want to see the the women get paid more. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that marketing that you mentioned, was that just non-existent or was it done in the wrong way when, when you were playing? Yeah. Well, it costs money, you know? <laughs> so, you know, as, as you know, when you start to see that, okay, the they're losing owners are losing money. It's like, what's the part that maybe gets taken out. So it's trying to find better ways to see if we can still market and maybe not lose as much money there. So um, I think that's just for the national team. I just think they didn't do it. Unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. I think they did it on the men's side and didn't do it as much on the women's side, unfortunately. But um, I think in the league, it comes down to, to money. And so it's trying to find ways that we can still market and, and, and make money. Uh, well, I want to ask you quickly, um, just on some, some of the off the field stuff, because you, you mentioned a little bit on the, the Bridge City side, and mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that your daughter's even playing now. Um, sort of. She's, she told me this last week she doesn't like soccer. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, our, like, our okay, baby. We'll take a break. We'll take a break. <laughs> <laughs> our baby's not talking yet, so he hasn't been allowed to say that yet. But we'll see. Uh, hopefully, I don't hear that. I guess he does but, so well when she wants to play. So I'm yeah. like, we'll just take a break. You got baseball <laughs> and basketball, and you're doing all these other gymnastics. So, yeah, we'll yeah, circle back to this. Um, circle back to that. Well, I'm wondering, uh, Notre Dame, you've got dual degree, right? On mm-hmm. in psychology and African American studies, is that yes. right? Yes. Um, just wondering, like, how did that shape you? You know, th- these are things that that I think you know would apply in sort of every little aspect of life in some way, right? That mm-hmm. whether it's playing or otherwise. I mean, how have you kind of applied that or or used that throughout since since you graduated there? I mean, psychology is in everything. So yeah. you know, I actually knew going into college that I wanted to you know, get a degree in psychology. Um, I had had some issues when I was in high school and actually spoke to a psychologist who helped me through some tough times. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to help others. And psychology is a great position for that. I thought it was going to be within child psychology. And that's kind of why in 2003, when I thought I was going to be done, that's what I was going back for. I'd gotten into Pepperdine for my grad school and I was going to go back. And, um, yeah, it just fits into everything. I mean, I think the way that you communicate with others, I thought as a center midfielder, that was really an important position to do that. But it's also recognizing that each person's an individual. Like I can't talk to everybody the exact same way. I can talk to Abby. I can scream and yell at her. Piercy, I could do the same thing. But then there's others that you maybe had to talk in a different way. I mean, Carly was just on a great podcast with U.S. Soccer. And like, I loved playing with her because at first we butted heads. We had to figure out how to talk to each other, you know, and then all of a sudden we figured it out and started playing well together. So I always think psychology comes in, in all of those pieces. Um, and then the helping others, it's why I started bridge city with Rochelle. It's, you know, it's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I'm also, um, working in executive coaching with business people, but I'm also trying to start a business right now, working with athletes transitioning out of sport because, I've been through it. I've done it. It's hard. Sucks. And, um, you know, it takes years and it shouldn't, it shouldn't take that long. Well, I I was reading um, the bridge city, uh, I guess, mission statement for, of, of just kind of being a diverse, inclusive club. Um, You know, I'm wondering, we just had Mitch purse on on the pod too. um, And she Mm -hmm. was talking about forming black women's player collective. And uh, I'm just wondering, like, do you feel, do you feel like, the sport itself at large is more inclusive to, to all players of all backgrounds at this point. Have you seen that shift? I mean, you're a parent now you're in that coaching space or is that still a really slow progress? It's a very slow progress still. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up in Southern California, so I felt lucky that um, I grew up uh, in an environment that seemed very diverse. Uh, I had, you know, my team itself. I mean, we had, a person from Persia. I mean, she was, she was Persian. We had Tongan on our team. We had Japanese. I mean, we were pretty much an eclectic group and, you know, my coach was Japanese. So, you know, I felt, I felt more inclusive there. I, I felt included there and I didn't have that sense of like, okay, I'm different than everybody else. Um, but I would say here in Portland, especially even Bridge City, we're talking a lot about it right now because I was like, where we don't have enough, like we need to make sure this is more diverse. We need to create spaces for players, you know, of color to to feel comfortable and to be able to be themselves and play the sport they love. 
And so we're, we're still working on it. So I would say that it's a slow progress, but you know, there was definitely a time where I was on the national team. I was the only African-American on the team. And, you know, that was an interesting period because I was like, okay, um, this, this doesn't represent the United States. Yeah. I think that's been a topic. I think, I guess, like you said, maybe very slowly has changed to to a little bit of a degree with, um, I, I think, somebody had mentioned that recently one of the recent lineups was maybe the most diverse hmm. that it has been, um, in some time. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, what you're doing bridge city obviously is it's taking that right. And having that in thousands of places to, to kind exactly. of, uh, influence in that sort of hyper local area. And then, right. And it's just being open, right? Like, I mean, I've talked to Rochelle a bunch. I'm like, sometimes it starts with coaches. We have two coaches, people of color, like, where, when's a young girl going to feel like she can come in and feel like she d- belongs, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's a big concern and we're trying to make sure that that changes. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, I, I think would like to keep talking about a bunch of things. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, you know, I, I think for those out there, what maybe for a little call to action before we wrap up, I mean, if somebody wanted to get involved, we were talking about the, the lupus awareness month earlier, mm-hmm. where they can go, what they can do, how they can, feel like they're doing something, you know, helpful. My gosh. Um, well right now follow on social media, follow lupus.org, follow, you know, on social like Twitter and Instagram and retweet, you know, repost those things because there's so much knowledge on there right now because of this month being lupus awareness month that, um, there's, there's little videos and stuff about different parts of what it is. Listen to them, find out, you know, what it really is and how it can affect people um, lupus.org, you can go there and donate. Of course, we're always, you know, wanting to do more research this past year, 2020 was a big year for lupus. Um, new, new medications came out that are specifically for lupus patients. Like I take medicine, all my medicine is borrowed from another disease. So it's not just specifically for lupus. So now we're starting, you know, the organization is starting to develop drugs just for lupus patients. So that was a big, big thing. And then there's just a bunch of tools on there for those that if you're listening and you have lupus or you you think you might go on there, there's so many tools to find out more information and to be a part of a community. Um, Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. But donate, donate. That's great. Advocate for us. That would be all I could say. Yeah. Well, Please, um, you know, if you're listening, check that out and and help in, you know, any way you can. And, um, you know, we're going to wrap up. Um, if Shannon has a couple minutes, do a quick uh, subscribers, a um, couple bonus questions. So if you're listening now, we're wrapping up the pod. If you subscribe on equalizersoccer.com, you can head over there. Um, and, and a couple of quick little, hopefully fun bonus questions. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, if, if you... If you don't, then go ahead and equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. But uh, I'll wrap up our main pod here. Shannon, Shannon Box, thank you very much for uh, joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for bringing so much awareness to Lupus. Thanks for all the questions. It was really fun. That is that for this episode of Kicking Back. Thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to bring you another great interview soon. If you don't want to miss any or you just need to get caught up, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you're listening to. And again, please subscribe to the Equalizer Extra. It's equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. Get you premium content on all things women's soccer, including 
bonus content from these podcasts that you can only get as a subscriber to the site. So check that out. We'll be back soon with more Kicking Back. I have been fed, that's a fact. I have been fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.